Hello, Peddling Podcast listeners. Welcome back to another show. I'm John, Peddling Podcast, bikepacking from New Zealand back to the UK over a year, and it's going to start in March, but I'm actually going to push that back potentially, uh, which means that I get to cycle around New Zealand and then head over to Australia and then conquer that before moving on to Asia and back home. Um, welcome to the show. In the last couple of years in particular, it's become really clear that New Zealand has one of the worst obesity rates in the world, we have one of the highest car ownerships in the world, and we have a pretty poor uh, traffic safety record as well. So for those reasons, we've become more and more focused. Podcast listeners, let me tell you something. These guys are the nicest people I've ever met. I mean, for all they have achieved... All they have done, and and just to, just to you know, kind of establish what they have done. You know, they've they've written nine cycling history books. They've written fifteen guidebooks since the nineteen nineties. They work in consultancy, forest restoration. They've created their own events. They're active in the community. Um, and these three guys are, are kind of New Zealand pioneers for cycling. But at the same time, when you sit down and talk with them, you would never think that. You would you would never think that they, they've done all this and they're still doing it. And they're just the most humble, lovely three men I've, I've ever sort of met and spoken to within the cycling world. So thank you guys for letting me sit down and talk. So the, the Kenny Brothers is made up of Jonathan, Paul and Simon. And we sat down uh, and basically passed the mic between all three of us, really. So pick up the voices and, and try and understand who's who um, as we kind of pass the mic around and talk about kind of what they have done within cycling in New Zealand. I mean, it, it's great because there are so many different ways this conversation could have gone. There's so much, so many nuggets of information that I could have just explored for hours and hours on end. Um, and end. And I do encourage you, if you don't know them very well and you want to find out more, just go onto the website, check out what they've done, reach out to them via Facebook as well. They're really kind of open guys that, that talk and share and comment and, and help everyone else out who's on a cycling adventure around New Zealand. So... You New Zealanders should be absolutely grateful for these guys and what they're doing for cycling in this country. Um, have a listen and you'll soon find out why they're bloody lovely guys. Hi, um, my name's Jonathan Kennett. I live in Wellington, New Zealand and I love biking. I'm Paul Kennett. Oh my God, I can't think of a fucking <laughs> saying. Um, I love biking too. Yes, I also ride quite a lot. Hi, I'm Simon Kennett. I'm Jonathan's identical twin brother, um, the older of the two. And um, I also love biking. And at the end of this week, I'm about to head off and cycle from Picton to Stewart Island um, with my daughter on the back of a tandem. How long is that going to take? Um, about three weeks. So I guess you don't have any kind of like a... Uh, limit on how many holiday days you can take as a Kennet brother. <laughs> no, no, I actually work full time um, for uh, the New Zealand Transport Agency, um, but I took advantage of the um, policy they have that you can buy an extra four weeks leave a year, so I get eight weeks leave a year. Four weeks. Yeah. Well, let's start with. Uh, I just want to kind of we'll do another quick round of kind of what you do. What's your day to day involvement with the Kennet brothers, and also any kind of stuff you do with other people as well okay well um my working week's pretty varied because i've worked part-time for the transport agency as as well and um the rest of the time i'm working um for the kennett brothers so what i'll do for the transport agency is help develop a national cycling network 
which involves going around and meeting meeting cycling enthusiasts and councils who want to build cycle trails and trying to connect various cycle trails to each other so that we end up with a connected network in New Zealand of around about 15,000 kilometres of cycling off-road trail or on quiet backcountry roads. And when I'm not doing that, which I actually love doing that, but when I'm not doing that, um, I'm working on uh, guidebooks and sometimes history books um, all about cycling um, with Paul and Simon. And when I'm not when I'm not organising the cycling network or doing cycling guidebooks, I design cycle trails or mainly mountain bike tracks or shared route shared route tracks, which would be mountain biking and walking tracks. Uh, usually for the Wellington City Council. And Paul here. Um, I spend most of my time doing book distribution in the office, general admin, keeping the office running, and um, I also do the design and layout of all of, all of our books because one of the way the Kenner Brothers works is we research, write, edit, uh, publish, layout, design, we do everything on our books except print, um, so I'm either laying out or I'm running the business or I'm um, sending books out as, as the distribution centre um, here in our little office and then every now and then, then I get dragged out to do some track work and sometimes I get to go out and do some book research which just means going out and writing. So. Uh, so we all did um, we all did tour Aotearoa this year. Uh, two years earlier, Jonathan um, ran the organised the first tour Aotearoa and he wrote it, and it was so much fun that we all had to do it this time. And Simon did it, did the North Island with his daughter. Okay, so um, I work, as I say, full-time for the transport agency and I'm a multimodal specialist there. So I look at um, design guidelines for cycling in particular, um, potential uh, rule changes, road user rule changes, and what flow-on effects they might have for cycling and other road users. Um, and I review um, designs for cycleways that um, get sent to the um, to our office of the transport agency from time to time. Um, I'm also a really keen um, volunteer at the Peak Mountain Bike Park, um, so I spend a lot of my spare time out there, um, sometimes doing track work, although not that so much at the moment, more conservation type work, um, tree planting, um, releasing trees, doing weed control. Um, yesterday I was out digging um, uh, lizard um, pitfall traps so we can do some lizard monitoring. Um, yeah, and also bait stations to try and knock back the, the, um, the rat population uh, because rats are an introduced species here and um, a lot of native birds don't quite not to d- know what to do when a rat uh, comes up to their nest. So they just kind of sit there and then get eaten. Yeah, so that's that's what I do. Since I've been doing this podcast show, I've talked to people in the industry, done some research, and pretty much everyone mentions you guys. No matter where you go, no matter who you talk to, everyone it all comes back to you guys. Actually, the first interview I did with uh, Barbara Cuthbert, and I said I'm going to talk to you guys. Her face lit up, and she was like, "Oh, I love those boys." <laughs> so, the, I, want, I want to kind of just we love Barb too. <laughs> 
I want to kind of go back to 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 where where kind of all that kind of started from. Yeah, where where did the where did the beginning of the the, the Kenny Brothers kind of start? So I'm a news to cycle tour, and there was a magazine that featured these things called clunkers or fat tired bikes. And I read that article, and a little explosion occurred in my head. I said, "Wow, that's exactly what I've been waiting for." Um, so I went out and bought a mountain bike, one of the very early mountain bikes in New Zealand, back in 23rd of October, 1984. And that was the start of my personal journey. journey. And then pretty quickly, Simon got um, uh, excited and he got a mountain bike and then Jonathan got a mountain bike. And eventually we did, um, since those really early days, we've been all super enthused and in, into it. So we've, we've done um, a lot of early events. I organised the first National Champs. Um, I started a magazine um, and then we started um, this thing here, which you can't see on, on the podcast, but it's the first edition of the Classic New Zealand Mountain Bike Rides. And um, it was an instant bestseller. So that was in 1991. Um, and we've done it every three years since then. Um, and basically everything we've done has kind of grown out of those early roots, event organising and working on the book and then pretty much any kind of cycling or mountain biking that you can think of we've been into. Um, and it just happens that we started super early. Yeah, and I guess the only other things I'd add to that were we did a lot of racing um, and in... 89, Paul and I went over to the States for um, five months and just went mountain biking um, pretty much every day, um, did some races, uh, won a couple of races, um, yeah, went to the Worlds and uh, and so we kind of ended up becoming um, a little bit uh, well known um, for our enthusiasm for all things um, mountain biking, whether it be organising events or doing magazines or books or racing, um, yeah, in a, and, and then trail building. Um, if there was a way of um, enjoying mountain biking, and then later on, if there was a way of earning a living from our passion for cycling, then we were into it. So, kind of back then, so back when this classic New Zealand mountain bike ride came out, how big was mountain biking? In New Zealand at the time of, of that book coming out, or, or prior to that, it's uh, well that was um, ninety one. Mountain biking was actually really starting to take off here by then. It was on on the steep part of the curve. Um, prior to that, it had been a sort of a slow slow burner, and then um, yeah, you know, we'd been organising events for five years by that stage. Mm. So we were you know we, we were really seeing phenomenal growth, and the government were kind of getting onto it. Uh, I think it was the next year they first started putting money into um, into mountain biking to support it as a as a you know one of the key recreational pastimes for New Zealand. Um, yeah, so we we had a friend, Dave Mitchell. Uh, he's he's um, a classic old school rider who's been at it for as long as we have, and he thought we may have missed the boat. Ninety one, he thought maybe it was we, we, things had passed by and it had plateaued, and and we were on the downslope. But um, 
Obviously, that didn't turn out to be the case. There was a bit of a lull towards the late 90s when uh, a lot of mountain bikers started to get into road riding instead and mountain bike was really expensive and people were starting to get a bit bored of the same old, same old tracks that we'd all been riding. But then what happened in the late 90s is some people um, started to uh, address that issue by building new tracks and that was the start of a new explosion in, in mountain biking that really came off the back of um, a fantastic array of, of new tracks and it's just been track construction, track construction um, ever since. So when we did the first edition of Classic New Zealand Mountain Bike Rides there were no purpose-built trails in the country, not a single one. Whereas now, in, 19, in 2018, there are just over 1,000 purpose-built mountain bike tracks in New Zealand, and they've mostly been built by volunteers. So it gives you an indication of how hugely active mountain bikers are in New Zealand building tracks that have helped support the growth of mountain biking. Other than mountain biking, we also commute by bicycle, um, and we always have, and we also enjoy um, trips where we're just essentially cycle touring on a mountain bike and we've been doing that since the 1980s as well so for us the bicycle is more than just something that we use for sport it's also used for travel and for transport and uh, we can't think of any any better way to actually get to work each day than by riding a bike so as I've been traveling in New Zealand um, with my road bike I think I've slowly realised I probably bought the wrong bike. Yeah, New Zealand is way better for mountain biking than road riding. Well, not, not, not so much just mountain biking, Paul. It's, it's great for cycle trails. Yes. Because for the last 10 years, we've been building these gravel cycle trails. And so if you're on a bicycle that can't get, you know, get off the sealed road mm. very comfortably, and you, essentially the more versatile the bicycle that you have, the more you're going to be able to see of New Zealand. Mm. It kind of stands to reason. And that's why, you know, the Tour Aotearoa, which goes the length of the country, the ideal bike for that is is actually a, a hardtail mountain bike with tyres that aren't too fat because you don't want to be too slow on the road, but aren't too thin either because you don't want to get beaten up on gravel roads or, or cycle trails. But if you, can, if you can get off the main road, you can get away from the traffic and you can enjoy the best scenery. So basically, sell, sell my road bike get a, get a, get some kind of gravel bike get a get a gravel bike for sure new zealand's got about 90,000 kilometers of roads and a third of those are gravel roads and they're gravel because they get so little traffic that they they can't justify the expense of um of being um tar sealed so yeah there's loads of gravel roads there's loads of cycle trails now um, about 10 years ago, the government decided to put $50 million into the development of um, New Zealand Cycle Trail Network, and, um, and that money was um, then matched by local councils and other organisations, and then a few years down the track, more money was put in, a few years after that, more money again was put in, um, and so we have a, a really um, strong and, and still developing network of, of off-road cycle trails that are brilliant for cycle touring sometimes they're, they're just good for for day rides um but yeah when you start to link those together with our quieter roads um then new zealand starts to become a really attractive cycle touring destination again if all you're doing is sticking to the main highways 
um, you're probably going to get sick of the sound of traffic and drivers passing too close. That's that's, uh, that's my experience mm. on a road bike so far. Yeah. It's been a bit hit and miss. You know, you get some days where in, around Rotorua it was great because it was just quiet, you know, country roads, going to farmland and that kind of stuff. It was brilliant. Out of Wellington, there's, there's not much you can do uh, unless mm. you want to sit on a highway for, for a good hour to get out of the city, which which wasn't the greatest experience yeah and were you heading up the, the the western side by state highway one or up towards the wire the wire wrapper um over? i think i was taking the taking the i think it was the highway one yeah which 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 a lot of cyclists seem to take mm. up and down mm. um but for me my experience of that was i'm not used to to being on a two-lane kind of highway yeah with traffic going 100 kilometers and you've got a, a kind of you've got plenty of room which narrows and then widens and narrows mm. and widens. So you mm. kind of have to really know kind of how to ride around cars quite often. But for me, that was just not my, my um, not a good experience really for riding a road bike. Um, in every book, we, the, where we can, we try and steer cyclists away from Highway 1. It's the worst experience. If you're going to pick an experience for New Zealand, Highway 1 is the worst. <laughs> okay, um, great. I'll, I'll take that one off then. really badly designed Highway 1. Um, and, and so, and, uh, yeah, I'd actually say even we've got worse highways too. Uh, at least a lot of State Highway 1 has a shoulder. Um, we've got other roads where it's almost as much traffic and no shoulder, and um, it, it, it can be really nasty. But a lot of State Highway 1 now, are, there are cycle trails or cycle ways being developed alongside. So if you were heading north out of Wellington, um, you can actually uh, ride on, on cycleways parallel with state highway mm-hmm. one um for quite a bit of that until you get up to around um almost otaki and, and going back to the 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 gravel kind of roads uh, when i came here i didn't even know you know the gravel scene here was was a thing um back in europe and america gravel was growing massively like it's everyone wants to ride gravel it's the cool thing to do you know all the weekend rides touch a little bit of gravel it's in all the big races i'm not sure why it's exploded so much but since I've been in New Zealand, it seems to be kind of like internationally, kind of still a bit of a secret. Would you say that's true? For, for, for the gravel kind of riding scene, more of the bikepacking scene. Um, yeah, I don't know. At least from, from what I've, when I did kind of a bit of research and, and, and when I, you know, since I've been here, it's, it's, it's amazing, but it doesn't feel like a, everyone's doing it just yet. Yeah, I mean, we're so um, deep in uh, promoting riding on quiet country, backcountry roads, including gravel. And, you know, we're producing uh, classic New Zealand cycle trails and and um, and working with the New Zealand cycle trail network people and, and with their heartland rides that often follow gravel roads that, that to us, it's it's like obvious it's just like how can how can people not know about it but then if you go to a you know if you go to a, a website or a, or a bookshop and look for a for a guidebook you could well pick up a new zealand cycle touring guidebook that just avoids gravel um and it'll that's uh, based on you know the way new zealand was 10 or 20 years ago um things have changed a lot um in the last decade yeah yeah so tour of uh Aotearoa. i never get it right tour of tour Aotearoa. tour Aotearoa. okay how did that? How did that come about? Because it's now kind of one of the one of the biggest talked about kind of events in the, in the bikepacking, touring, mountain bike trail, kind of how to you yeah. know, travel the country from north top to bottom. Yeah. So um, uh, just over a decade ago, somebody put a post on a on a um, New Zealand cycling discussion um, page saying, oh, "Have you seen this event called the Great Divide Race?" 
and I was like um, towards the end of my racing career as, as it were um, and saw this and thought wow that's like uh, you know a 4,000 kilometer race from Canada to Mexico this um, nearly all off-road or you know on gravel roads um, this is like the Everest of mountain bike racing what a great way for me to finish um, racing and get it out of my system once and for all so I got fully psyched to do that went over and did it had a good time and um, after a year of you know, recovery I thought right I should introduce this concept to New Zealand um, but I didn't want it to be quite that um, crushing uh, the, I was actually you know racing um, and destroying my body a little bit on that uh, ride I wanted something that was be a little bit less um, brutal so I organized the 1100 kilometer Kiwi Brevet um, Brevet being a, a kind of a cycling certificate for uh, randonneuring type events in Europe um, and changed the rules a little bit so that you were allowed to draft and, and um, you had to have some time out at the end of each day. You couldn't just race through the clock. Um, and yeah, I think about 100 people turned up the first time, ran it a couple more times and and, and, it, and it went it fine. Now, now um, Scott Emmons um, and Joe organise it and it's, it's still going strong. Um, but after a couple of years of that, Jonathan thought, well, you know, the natural thing to do is try and organise a length of New Zealand um, ride. And um, the original concept for the New Zealand Cycle Trail was a length of New Zealand um, trail. So Jonathan um, looked at uh, looked at the map long and hard, worked out a way of linking as many of the off-road options as possible um, to make a, a route from Cape Reinga to Bluff that would be not you know ridiculously squiggling all over from one coast to the other reasonably direct um but taking in some some fantastic scenery involves a bunch of road riding as well so it's a real mix and uh then he thought right i want some company while i check this out so he put a message on facebook before he knew it there were 250 people joining him um for the first um tour at um, he loved it, you know, it was just one of the best things he did in his life, so he thought, right, I'm going to do it again. Um, and the next time, we about just over 500 people turned up this year, so he's planning to organise it again. Um, in uh, 2020, it'll, it'll run again, and, um, and uh, you know, we're really keen for it to be a, um, a, a permanent route that people can enjoy outside of the event um, whenever people want to. None of it's private land. Um, yeah, we see it as a great way of, you know, promoting travel by bike and and um, and New Zealand uh, as a as a cycling um, place place to come and explore by bike. Mm. And what's interesting about the event as well, from what I kind of notice, is it's it doesn't seem to be. Uh, well, it obviously isn't uh, like one of those highly commercial one every year kind of event. It seems to have that community kind of spirit where everyone talks um, really positively about it. What, what do you think the reason for that is? Obviously not kind of taking it to the point where, okay, could we do it every year? Could we charge a fee for it? Could we organize different points and different, like some of those big long distance kind of races you, that are happening all over the world. Um, is, there, is, there a, is there a conscious reason why you didn't take it one route or the other, like as you go on? 
Yeah, as far as charging for it, in, in New Zealand, if you don't charge for something, um, your liability as an organiser is is really, really um, low. Um, as soon as you start taking people's money, um, then you have a whole heap more responsibility and there's the, all the administration of that and people's expectations start to become really high of what you're providing. So we'd rather just keep it low-key. It was the same with the Tour Aotearoa and it's the same with most of the bikepacking events in New Zealand. Keep it low-key um, and make sure everybody's aware that um, we're all in it together. Your your responsibility is 100% for yourself. Um, nobody else is going to be looking um, after you. Um, and also, because we introduced that rule that you have to have at least six hours a day of downtime, um, it reduces that kind of really hardcore, kind of macho uh flavor that's that bike packing events sometimes have where you where you go for you know like 300 kilometers a day um riding through the night just it becomes an exercise and sleep deprivation and super super competitive um yeah we've we've really changed the the rules a bit so we steer away from the competitive element um you're allowed to draft which means that you tend to look for other people to team up with a little bit and share the you know battling the headwinds and and um, and because you're not worried about a placing or anything, um, you don't look at the people around you as competitors, but more as kind of collaborators. Um, so you you get in, into it together, and um, you know those that kind of collaboration can occur to a certain extent within um, within bikepacking races as well. But um, it definitely does seem to be that the Tour Aotearoa is is a bit more of a non-competitive community where we've got a much wider range of people, a higher percentage of women, uh, quite a high proportion of um, older riders and people are just out there to try and complete the course, feeling good um, within the time limit, which means you're doing about 100 kilometres a day uh, as a minimum. Um, But yeah, it's a really supportive community, it really is, it's it's great. even even though there's like the, the the event itself that happens every every few years or, or when you kind of feel like it, yeah, people also years. it's every two years. Yeah. But people seem to just do it whenever they feel like it as well. Mm. It's it's that accessible. You can just go and do it. There's no kind of organisation around anything but yourself. Yeah. So because of our cycle touring background, um, we definitely wanted it to be, and because we didn't want to have this as a commercial enterprise, the event as a commercial enterprise. And we, we didn't want it to be commercial because if we did, it almost became unfeasible because of all the, the traffic management that you'd have to do throughout the whole country. 3,000 kilometres worth of traffic management. And getting concessions from the Department of Conservation for every track of theirs yeah, you use. It would be a nightmare. So because of that, it had to be non-commercial. And because of that, we we make money by selling our books. So we sell a coffee table book and uh, route guides. And um, we, because of our cycle touring background, we want people to treat it as a breve cycle tour slash that kind of, it's the cycle touring end of- The challenge. The challenge, yes. Mm. and so we've got the GPS track on, on the website that you can download and do whenever you like, and that's yeah. great. Yeah, so you don't actually have to um, 
you don't actually have to buy the guidebooks, um, but they're there and they, you know, they, pr- they provide um, some inspiration and some, some extra um, information that's really useful um, uh, over and above the GPS um, files. Yeah, I guess the other thing I was going to mention, which has just eluded me now, was about the community out there in the in the world, as it were, uh, of trail angels and businesses um, in small towns uh, that get excited about the the Tour Aotearoa passing um, through their um, through their community. Um, they're really supportive as well, which is which is really neat. And I think because we haven't tried to commercialise it, that allows that community involvement to uh, to manifest itself. Whereas if it's a commercial business, you go, okay, where's the money in it? Who's paying? All that kind of stuff. And it becomes much less um, community volunteer-oriented or friendly. Yeah. Some people might say, I could be sitting in the... In the in the company of legends right now and, and there's a reason why because this year something something happened you guys got put into the can you explain a bit more <laughs> maybe you introduce what happened okay so uh it turns out we got nominated to be in the um marin mountain bike hall of fame which has been running almost as long as we have or yeah longer. well yeah um i think it started in 19 19- 86 or 87 yeah, yeah. The, the funny thing was um, there was a, a group of Americans who had been really heavily involved in mountain bike advocacy for years and years and years and years um, came to New Zealand for a, a, a bit of an explore and um, and they had an experience a little bit like you, yours where they kept on um, bumping into people who said oh, you should you know talk to the Kenner brothers they've done this or they've done that um, and some of which we actually have done, and maybe some of which is, is blown out of out of out of proportion. But um, yeah, they so we never actually met these people because we were out doing the tour out here. Um, so after they left the country, they emailed and said, you know, uh, looks like you're doing great stuff. We really enjoyed our trip to New Zealand. Um, would you mind if we nominated you? So we said, yes, sure, why not? Um, you know, it'll be a, an honour for us to you know represent everything that the New Zealand mountain bike community has done and the, you know the people we've worked with hundreds hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of, mm-hmm. of volunteers have helped us do the, 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 the books and the events and the tracks and the planting and stuff um, so it's really a bit of a shared uh, shared recognition I think for for all that effort um, yeah in the end, it's you know once the nominations are taken, they decide whether or not you've got a chance, and then if you have, they put you into a ballot, and and then the ballot takes place, and so um, yeah, there's a couple of opportunities there for us to to quietly fall out of the <laughs> out of the running, but um, but we made it through to the to the final and the um, the induction in uh, Marin Mountain Bike uh, Museum, which was great. Yeah, yeah. So what does that mean? So what is there something there? In the, so the museum's over in, is it in America somewhere? Yeah, it's in Marin County, which is the birthplace of mountain biking, mm. um, in, in Fairfax to be precise. Um, and the museum is curated, curated by um, Joe Breeze um, and a bunch of other volunteers who are you know, right, involved there right at, at the, the word go. Um, so uh, I don't, if you went into the museum, you, you know, there, there's, 
there's hundreds, I think, of people who have been inducted into the Hall of um, Fame now. Um, so you wouldn't notice. <laughs> you wouldn't notice our, our, our presence there. It's just a you know a, a page on a on a website somewhere. Um, I think our, the trophies that we got were uh, carved into wood, um, which hadn't been treated. So we've actually left those um, at the museum. I don't know whether they're on display or not, but um, we'll bring those home eventually. Um, yeah, so you know, it's just uh, it's just a cool thing. There were um, there were a few other people who were inducted at the same time, and when you go back looking through the Hall of Fame, which was started in Crested Butte originally, um, it's just full of uh, people who have been, um, you know, in the right place at the right time, like we were, to to make a difference um, with regards to mountain biking in, in their particular part of the world, and 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 some of them are, you know, have made a huge difference to mountain biking um, around the entire world. Um, we're obviously, you know, sort of more just in New Zealand, um, but it's, it's it's great when we when we can see that other people from overseas like yourself have come over here and enjoyed some trails or um, uh, used our guidebooks to have a good time um, cycling around New Zealand. Cool. So one of the things you, you mentioned just then was was the volunteers as well. Like, And when I talked to Barbara, she she was, when, when it was like, Barbara, give some, give some advice to people out there who want to kind of like improve cycling in that city, town, wherever they are. And she was adamant that you have to um, encourage volunteers, people who actually want to go out there and, 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 and volunteer their time to, to, to do stuff on, on, a, on a big scale. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how big and what difference does, does volunteering make to, to what you guys do? Oh, it's, it's critical. Um, I guess to our books, it's, uh, we've slowly become a little bit more professional as time's gone by, but we still rely on, on volunteer help um, with getting information and images. And the book in front of you now on the tour, um, the, the design was um, worked out by a volunteer. Uh, a lot of the photos were just gifted to us and there was uh, a whole lot of editing and photo selection that was, um, you know, people were helping us as volunteers. Um, if we go right back to the first events, like the Karapoti Classic, um, you know, that relied hugely on volunteers to build it up. I think the first event, um, there was the local cycle touring club who helped out and Paul did a lot of the work. And the next time, I think Paul did even more of the work. But that was, I think, was when we started to realise uh, we need more people involved. And Paul slowly built up the number of people till about sort of 91. And 92 was when I got involved. and we got a club involved again and we got in fact we started to get multiple clubs involved the the local um emergency response sort of club the the uh, lions um service club that did the meals um volunteers from the mountain bike club helping with marshalling um the local ham radio club helping with communications you know so many um people involved um just running one event like that and then um when we got involved in the development of mountain bike trails um you know volunteers were absolutely critical the budget to, to start the Mucker Peak mountain bike park for example was quite small and uh really i think we probably had enough of a budget to build about a kilometer of trail in the you know with the machine in the in the first year um at the same time there were about another five kilometers of trail built by volunteers and when you're building in steep rocky terrain it's about a one hour per meter type of work 
uh, ratio. So you need um, volunteers who are willing to come back time and time again, um, as well as uh, you know the corporate groups who come out once a year. So yeah, you, you need to look after your volunteers and and um, and advertise well and market your your project well so that new people come on board all the time. It's a it's it's a big deal getting getting volunteers to, to come along and help. Um, it helps if you've got a, a good vision, yeah. and everyone's keen on the same vision, which is usually let's build a mountain bike track with really good tra- trails. Um, that's a, a vision that anybody can get behind. Yeah, and then the the planting side of it for for Macra Peak is their vision is that it's a mountain bike park in a restored native forest. So uh, people really got on board with that vision as well. We get um, hundreds of people coming out and helping with tree planting. We've got hundreds of traps and bait stations with um, oodles of volunteers maintaining those on a regular basis throughout the year. Um, yeah, so again, another part of the vision. Um, it's kind of, uh, you know, bigger than the sum of the parts in a way um, when you get those groups working in parallel um parallel streams of, of, of a project at the same time. Yeah, yes. So, do you want to add? We, we, ha- we came up with this idea of, um, we wanted restoration of the, of the ecosystem to be an integral part of the mountain bike park. And um, so we came up with this idea of planting a tree for every one metre of track we built. And that was a really good, strong, simple idea that was really compelling. Um, and there are multiple reasons why um, the ecological goals were smart for the park um, in terms of drawing in a wide um, diversity of people from the wider community to supporting the park. So we had local people who weren't mountain bikers but who were helping because they were interested in the ecological goals. Mm. Then we had mountain bikers working on the trails and they got more interested in the ecological stuff and so there's a beautiful um, multiple things that were attracting people yes so what's the what's the the, the, the Kenny brothers vision kind of heading forward into the next next few years early on when we started to get a little bit more professional we we thought oh, our business needs a, a mission statement or a vision I'm trying to remember what the hell it was it was to earn a living, so that was important, that's the first part, to earn a living, encouraging active and environmentally aware lifestyles. And going forward, I guess we have a few different projects. Um, we, we're really, really keen to continue promoting cycling in New Zealand, um, whether it be mountain biking, road cycling, or cycling on cycle trails, which is sort of somewhere in between, just exploring New Zealand by bike. Um, but we're also keen to try and make New Zealand a better place to cycle by addressing particular safety issues or helping councils or government build off-road trails to get away from traffic and also try and actually just be able to just be able to really take in the joy of cycling in, in, in what is a beautiful and really diverse country. Talking about working with, with governments that want to have this agenda to improve or, or do something different um, with cycling. What's your experience working with those entities trying to improve cycling? The global financial crisis was a turning point in New Zealand. Before then, 
there wasn't that much interest in cycling from central government. As a result of the global financial crisis, the New Zealand government held a, a, a jobs workshop, a summit, they called it, where they got government officials and businesses together for a few days to try and brainstorm ideas to create jobs in New Zealand. And the one project that's had a real legacy was to develop New Zealand cycle trails. It was called the New Zealand Cycle Trail Project. And that's, um, that resulted in an investment of around about $100 million to build 22 great rides. And since then, the government has earmarked about $6 million a year to continue enhancing and extending those great rides. So that's really fantastic. So the future for the great rides is looking great, looking really strong. But then we also have these things called heartland rides which connect the great rides together and they're predominantly on road but really quiet backcountry road and they may require building some little sections of cycle trail to uh, to connect backcountry roads oh well actually that gravel grind that gravel grind you did you might remember that there was a two kilometer section in a scenic reserve well right at the moment um, the local council with funding from the New Zealand Transport Agency, is building a cycle trail through that scenic reserve to connect two very long dead-end gravel roads. So those, those gravel roads have virtually no traffic on them. Uh, the scenic reserve will only be open to walkers and cyclists, and it's going to be a fantastic link between Rotorua and Tauranga. So that's sort of a really good example of we were trying to create partnerships that between cycle advocates, local government and central government that result in better cycling infrastructure in New Zealand. And um, what, what, what does the central government want to get out of it? Because there's always, with government, there's always like a, a yep. plan, some sort of agenda behind any decision where the money comes from, whether that's like, I don't know, reducing commute times or tourism or, you know, something else. What, sure. what do you think the, the kind of motivation is? Well, as you know, there's several different benefits to cycling. To start with, in 2009, when the Cycle Trail project was was um, first created, the most important agenda was economic growth, and that was economic growth through tourism. Various studies had been done on the Otago Central Rail Trail, which was a cycle trail completed in, in the year 2000, and that generates about $12.7 million a year into the local economy and has really rejuvenated the small towns along the railway line, which are going to die otherwise. Um, so to start with, it was very, very much a business focus with the with what we called at that stage co-benefits being um, health, community, environment um, and transport. Whereas now with the current government, the, the highest priority or the highest priorities would be safety, so the safety of people who want to ride by bicycle. Health, the health benefits can uh, can be used to justify economic investment in a cycle trail just on their own. And transport. So if there, if a cycle trail, potential cycle trail goes past a bunch of schools or um, a hospital or the, the central part of a city, then that cycle trail may be justified for investment purely in terms of the transport benefits and of course sometimes you can combine those various benefits together to get a project over the line. Within all that kind of where does your kind of role overlap? Well we'll use any benefits that we can see to get a cost benefit ratio high enough to justify the investment. Our 
our background clearly is in recreational cycling um, and transport, commuting, cycling. So we, as I said, we commute all the time and when we're on holiday we're often riding a bike. So that's the, the recreational side of things. Um, but in the last couple of years in particular it's become really clear that New Zealand has one of the worst obesity rates in the world, we have one of the highest car ownerships in the world, and we have a pretty poor uh, traffic safety record as well. So for those reasons, we've become more and more focused on the actual health benefits that can be gained through cycling, and also the safety benefits that can be gained by providing more enjoyable infrastructure that's away from busy roads. And that's quite interesting because, you know, coming from from, the UK, London, and, and, and being around Europe, a lot of the, the the advocacy kind of pushes to to get better cycle lanes and and uh, you know against roads and things like that. Whereas here in New Zealand, it's it's building these trails and, and and paths that don't even intersect with with roads as much as you know you'd happen in Europe. Is that is that kind of would you say that's kind of fair? Like uh, here, there's there's more trails away from roads that 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 are being built. Well, in the last ten years, that's certainly true, but that's largely been because the focus over the last ten years has predominantly been for um, for economic growth through tourism and okay. tourists don't want to cycle beside a whole lot of traffic mm. and so the paths have been predominantly off-road. Um, however, there's, there are situations where you have to follow a road or you might, or the traffic volumes might be so low that the road is effectively uh, um, a cycle trail. You know, some, some of the roads in New Zealand have less than 100 vehicles a day on them. So when you, if you're cycling on them for an hour, you might only see one or two cars as far as we're concerned, that's virtually a cycle trail. Yeah. So, um, if so it really comes down to looking at each individual situation. Uh, and there is a growing concern about safety amongst parents for their children cycling, and so they, they much prefer having an off-road cycling facility. Mm-hmm. So I guess we're looking a little bit more at the moment towards the European model than, than the UK model. Yeah, just reiterating... That observation is definitely changing with a recent change of government. Uh, so they're more focused on city cycling now than they were a decade ago because of the changing government. So okay. The switch from focusing on tourism to focusing on health and safety benefits. I want to talk about the, the books. So, yep. so we start with like numbers. Like how many? How many titles? currently do you have or or, or have done Uh, so we've done so the first edition mountain bike book was 1991 and we're now working on the 10th edition Um, we've done four editions of the cycle trails book classic New Zealand cycle trails we've also done a classic New Zealand road rides we've done regional guides so small little guides that you can put in your pocket yeah We've done um, the Tour Aotearoa pocket guides, so that's a turn-by-turn kind of thing. Um, We've done the Tour Aotearoa coffee table book, and we've also done, right behind your head there, there's a big book called Ride, and that's a history of cycling in New Zealand. Mm. Um, Then we have done... Uh, history books on various cycling legends in New Zealand. We've done seven of those on different cycling legends. We've done a book on the round the Taranaki 
um, road race, road race that's been a, going for a hundred years. Uh, what else have we done? We've done oh, short easy bike rides. <laughs> so short easy bike rides is a. You know, when you've been a lot of books when you can't remember some yeah. of them, right? Short easy bike rides is a is a beautiful formula. It's a book on rides that are less than two hours, flat, no traffic, so literally away from cars, yeah. and there's a cafe. So it's a beautiful uh, concept, um, quite like that. So when it comes to, to, to making books like the story of cycling, the yep. book here, it's a big coffee table book that. Yes. How, how do you go about planning, thinking, researching, organising? I mean, I imagine you probably organise it chronologically, but... Uh, so that, that particular one is one that we did back in 2005, and we've been wanting to do it since about the 2000s, the, 2000, the year 2000. Um, it was a book we knew we could never make any money from. We wanted to do a history of cycling in New Zealand, and we kind of put it off for a few years, and then eventually we just worked out a way at it over three years. Um, and once again, we got volunteers to help us write that. So it's in about 12 chapters, and each one of them is written by either an unpaid volunteer or one of the three Kennett brothers. Um, how many chapters? Yeah, it's about 12 chapters. And so how did we go about organising it? Uh, it's chronological mostly, um, but then we also sliced it into women cycling, uh, road and track, pedaling for a jet adventure, which is a, a cycle touring, um, BMX, mountain biking, and then uh, uh, past and future. And then a little bit of um, results, race results, from the last hundred years of cycling in New Zealand. Yeah. So that was a it was a beautiful big book with gorgeous photos. Um, really proud of that. Uh, made us absolutely no money, but it was one of those. Uh, this is something that the, the Kenner brothers are well known for: is launching into projects that we know aren't going to make us many any money, but are worth doing. Mm. There's lots of cycling related projects that are just worth doing even though they don't make money yeah so well, Aotearoa is the same th- same thing yeah I, I, I guess you know with things like this the, the, the book is going to literature and, and, and stuff like that is going to last you know a long time a lifetime yeah um, and it adds value to, to cycling in New Zealand yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. so it is kind of worth it yeah when it comes to republishing a book so say when you said uh, Mountain Bike Rides was, was republished when it's coming up to the time to republish, um, what do you usually? What's you, usually the, the routine? Are you, are you, are you kind of yep. taking on input for like the whole last two years, or? Um, yep. So what do we do is, so we have a, a list of all the mountain bike rides in the country, and all the rides that are in the book. So, and then we every three years we go through and we cull things that we think are no longer worth it. So one of the interesting things that's, that we've seen develop and evolve over time is things that were in the first edition that would never be considered a mountain bike ride anymore. They're just uh, gravel um, road rides, basically. Okay. Um, and people's definition of what mountain biking in has evolved over the last three decades. Um, now that people are used to mountain bike parks and hand-groomed 
um, flowy trails. So what would be a typical ride in this book from 1991? 91. So a typical ride would either be a really remote, little-used gravel road ride or a full drive track through a forest um, that might be partially overgrown. So it was still, it was quite a green experience, but still not not what you would consider today to be hand-built, flowy, single trail. Okay. Um, and then fast forward to, to 2018, what 2018. would be a so typical... People quite like um, something with humps and jumps and f- really good flow. Uh, it'll be custom-built single track for mountain biking, um, which is a totally different scenario. Um, and what we... And because we've been through that whole experience we like all of it um there's still rides in the in the original book that we love um remote backcountry rides through native forest that might be a quite wide straightforward four-wheel drive track or, or gravel road but it's still a fantastic experience mm. but i guess the evolution is quite interesting because a mountain bike ride back in 91 yeah. would only be a mountain bike ride but now you could ride this on several types of bikes and the whole bike industry has yes. evolved to the point yes. of where everything is more accessible i guess the other thing that was in the original book were um tramping tracks that weren't too steep so it was it was either um old gravel roads or it was um, tramping tracks that were rideable yeah. and if it was too steep and it wasn't rideable then it wasn't a mountain bike track and if it was sealed it wasn't a mountain bike track and anything in between those two extremes we were, if we could if we could ride it on a mountain bike and it wasn't sealed then it was a potential mountain bike track mm. based on the experience of, of the bush and so on and the remote, remoteness yeah Okay. Um, but yes, it has been interesting to see the the evolution of the sport and also the evolution of the marketing around the sport. The whole downhill bikes. In 1991, you had a mountain bike and you rode whatever you could ride. Mm. And that was a mountain bike track by, by dint of the fact that you could ride it on a mountain bike. And then you got mount, uh, downhill bikes and you got downhill only tracks, and um, you got a, a kind of split in the sport between mountain bikers and downhillers and cross country riders and downhillers. Um, and that, that split has kind of been healed with the whole enduro movement, right. um, where people have a bike that can do both, and a lot of people enjoy both. They enjoy riding up the hill and down the hill which is, is what it was like back in the early days as well. Yeah, again, I've, I've brought the wrong bike yeah, <laughs> to New Zealand. Totally brought the wrong yeah. bike. We, keep, uh, we, we try to make it really clear in our guidebooks what, what's going to work. Um, and it, it always hurts us to see people from Europe coming over with huge panniers, um, riding with too much weight. And it hurts us to see people riding on Highway 1. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, cycle touring on the road seems to be st- still quite a popular thing. And there's, mm. there's a few books I've seen around that people uh, have created and create and, and 
by working in Auckland, you kind of saw a lot of people coming in and out of, of the shop that would, you know, want the panniers, want the uh, the right bike for the road. And you'd see them as well. I mean, I think my, one of the things I saw a few weeks ago was driving around the Carmander Peninsula. And although it's a beautiful road, mm. it's very scenic, it's, you know, good condition. It's also really fast. And yes. you've got a lot of people pulling boats and that kind of thing. And I think I spent about one hour cycling somewhere near there and it wasn't a great experience. Yeah. Yet, however, there were cycle tourists kind of traveling up and down, probably covering that whole peninsula. And it wouldn't be something I'd recommend, but there still seems to be people doing it quite often. Yes, yeah. There, so there are a couple of other books on cycling in New Zealand produced by other people who don't have the same aversion to super fast traffic. Mm. Um, we can see the, the safety issues and the enjoyment issues associated with riding home and running fast traffic. Um, but other people are really traffic hardened and so they'll say, oh, ride that highway run 100 kilometer hour traffic, traffic no worries. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not for me. No. Um, or us. Okay, so road or gravel? Gravel. North or South Island? South. Up or downhill? Uh, down. Sweet or savoury? Sweet. Coffee or tea? Tea. Flat or clip pedals? Clip. Roll bars or flat bars? Flat. Bike touring or bike packing? These days, bike packing. Thanks for joining me on the show. It's a pleasure. And it's great to talk about mountain biking trails and what bike I should probably be doing next time I come back to New Zealand. Yes. Enjoy. All right. Thanks again, Paul. All right. Cheers.